So hear now these words by Jan Richardson. You hardly knew how hungry you were to be gathered in, to receive the welcome that invited you to enter entirely. Nothing of you found foreign or strange, nothing of your life that you were asked to leave behind or to carry in silence or in shame. Tentative steps became settling in, leaning into the blessing that enfolded you taking your place in the circle that stunned you with its unimagined grace. You began to breathe again, to move without fear, to speak with abandon the words you carried in your bones that echoed in your being. You learned to sing. But the deal with this blessing is that it will never leave you alone. It will never let you linger in safety, in stasis, The time will come when this blessing will ask you to leave, not because it is tired of you, but because it desires for you to become the sanctuary that you have found, to speak your word into the world, to tell what you have heard with your own ears, seen with your own eyes, known in your own heart, that you are beloved, precious child of God, beautiful to behold, And you are welcome, and more than welcome, here. Thanks for being with us. Tonight we're kicking off our epiphany theme of sanctuary. Sanctuary, as probably most of us know, is a place of refuge, of safety. A condition of being sheltered from pursuit, danger, or trouble. Sanctuary an idea and a reality that often seems further off than not, and yet a reality we are called to be a part of as people captivated by the gospel. That's why over the coming weeks we're going to look at the world as it is and the world as it ought to be in dialogue with sanctuary. This may seem like weighty, overwhelming work, but much-needed work now more than ever. We will consider whose lives in our community are being put in precarious positions. We will ask ourselves how we can cultivate sanctuary for these individuals and for our collective well-being. But before we start exploring the resonance of sanctuary in theology, scripture, and relationship, tonight we're going to hear from you all. Hear from the diverse experience of our community centered around this question. Out of your experience, location, personal narrative, what does sanctuary mean to you? And to get us started in our framing and thinking about this question, our kids are going to lead us in our community song, where we will be asking ourselves and asking God to open our eyes, to open our ears, to open ourselves to what the Spirit may do tonight in this space. So kids, would you lead us in our community song that we're like going back to after a time away from it? Tree. 
one of the co-pastors here, and we are so glad you are with us on this Sunday, January 15th, um, as we think about sanctuary and also remember and honor Martin Luther King Jr. and the work that he started and the work that continues desperately to, to need to be done. Um, at Emmaus Way, we say we're a community captivated by the gospel, trying to live into that captivation together um, and figure it out and what that means for our lives, for our community, for the city of Durham. So if you want to know more about our community, how you can plug in, there are yellow and green cards on the front table, the wooden table. The yellow one, write your name and put your email down if you want to know more about the weekly happenings or if you want to meet one of the staff members for coffee. Um, And take a green card if you want to read more about our church, get emails, etc. Kind of take a yellow card if you're wanting us to reach out. Take a green card if you're wanting to, like, check out Emmaus Way for a bit, and then you choose when you want to contact staff, if that sort of makes sense. Anyway, we can give you options here. Um, That's one announcement. Trying to think. Other announcements? Yes. Tomorrow is Martin Luther King Um, the observance of Martin Luther King. And at Durham at 10.30, we encourage all of you that are able, there is a march from NC Mutual Life to First Prez. And then there will be a service with speakers at First Prez once you are there. I've been told it should be about an hour and a half, potentially two hours, but it'll be wonderful. Look for Emmaus Way folks. Meet at NC Mutual Life at 10.30. Um, Be on the lookout starting next week. Text team for the coming week, coming months, not starting this week, but starting next. It's going to be a bit more open. Um, And so staff will be, myself and other staff member, will be opening up text team for folks to come and dialogue around the scripture that will be used for the following Sunday. If you, yeah, want to talk about the text that we'll be using and give your opinions and thoughts as we are thinking and shaping um, the Sunday gathering, please come. Be on the lookout in the weekly as well as next Sunday on the exact time and location. Um, But that'll start January, the week of January 22nd. January 28th, we're talking about Sanctuary. Um, Duke Divinity is hosting a conference on January 28th called What is Sanctuary? Sponsored by Duke Divinity, it will be held at Duke UMC, um, Duke Memorial. It's 8.30 to 4.30. I think the cost is $20. Look on their website. We'll probably post it on Emmaus Way, but it should be a great conference if folks want to attend. Ben has an announcement about an inauguration listening session. Maybe? Yeah, well, definitely. Sometime in the next week and a half, hopefully next weekend, um, We've started doing some more podcasting things where we sort of gather around art or take things that pub groups done and put them in a podcast format where we have conversations as a community that are then available more broadly. So we wanted to do one 
around the inauguration. Um, and I've asked several people to sort of contribute songs. We've got a great list that we're paring down. We're going to create an album-length list of songs that are somehow in response to the inauguration of Donald J. Trump. Either laments, hopeful, um, songs that we're listening to differently in light of that event. Um, yeah, so we'll gather, um, listen to that together, and then have a, have a discussion. So, yeah, we're hoping... First. Potentially Saturday? Potentially Saturday afternoon, but I'll send something definitive to the UA social, or you can grab me, Ben, at nasway.net if you want to firm it up. And that would be about two and a half hours, right, the listening sessions normally? Cool. And we have other really exciting news in our community, and part of why I wanted wanted to do announcements tonight and not Ben is he can't really congratulate himself, but I can. Um, Ben was, in the past week and a half, hired as the new executive director for Religious Coalition of a Nonviolent Durham, which is really, really exciting. So um, he will be, he is um, part-time executive director, part-time facilitator at Emmaus Way and doing really remarkable work in both communities and in our city. And we are ecstatic um, for Ben and what this means for him and for Durham but also for our church community as we continue to partner with Religious Coalition. But I wanted to make that announcement. So, great. Tim Carlos, if you would come and lead us in our songs of preparation. So yeah, um, good evening, and it's a pleasure to be back here. I'm going to treat you to a song from from John Lennon. It's called Watching the Whales. to watch them roll 
shifted around. Uh, I think that's the first time, uh, I, I, certainly the first time I've sang that song uh, here. It may, it may as well, but this next song, I know I've done it at least once before, and I think other people have done it as well. Um, it's from Richard Thompson, or Richard and Linda Thompson's called Dimming of the Day. This old house is falling down around my A song now written by Joe Henry, who's uh, I know we've done, well, I've done one of his songs here, at least one of his songs before. And uh, this is a song that he was on an album, he's called Civilians, and it's been covered by a couple of people, including Bonnie Raitt. And what we're going to do now, it owes more to Bonnie Raitt's um, arrangement than or her reading than the original. It's from an album called Slipstream.
you, Tim, for such carefully chosen, thoughtful songs about the idea of sanctuary. And welcome to Chessa Rich, right? Chessa Rich, who's apparently visited Emmaus Way a long time ago, but then somehow worked her way back here to be a musician tonight. So many, many of the waters under the bridge since then. And welcome back to Billy, too. Yeah, thanks for those guys. Uh, we actually put this list together last week um, for the snow service we canceled for snow. So it's great that Tim could come back and be flexible to be with us. And I have to say, in that time, between now and then, I've just been really struck by that last uh, Joe Henry Bonnie Raitt song. It's uh, mulling about the possibility of, as a person or as a community, trying to embody sanctuary in 2017. I would have to admit that I have almost lost the heart to know how to keep my best in mind for many of the people I see represented in my daily life or or demographically. And I think that even when we mean well, it's apparent that our culture and nation are struggling to know how to find and enact the best for each other. And so it's in that spirit that I would invite you, as we do every week, to pass the peace of Christ to each other, to greet each other, Grab a coffee or snack, yes, but seek out someone you don't know um, and, and invoke with and for each other an active peace that meets us at the center of what we have lost the heart to imagine and invites us to be and see and declare the light of God's peace and love for all those gathered here and declare a peace that so passes our understanding that it might someday encompass all those gathered everywhere. Come, pass the peace to each other as we begin to reimagine the sanctuary of God. Please. So, entering a new year, and as Molly said, the season after Epiphany and before Lent, we have decided to gather our dialogue around the idea of sanctuary. And Molly's done such a great job of introducing that, so I'll strike through some of the things I wanted to say. But I, I did want to say that I think to me... Yeah, this idea of sanctuary has a resonance. It has this idea of a place of safety um, from assailing forces of violence in whatever form that violence might come. But it also raises some deeper and broader resonances. And if you look at the Latin roots of the word, which I won't do, but if you do, you find this, this tension between a place and the holy or the sacred. And I imagine some people besides me grew up calling their church auditorium a sanctuary um, and abiding by rules of dress and behavior that tried to keep it as such. And so that's where that's coming from. And, and I think immediately this week when we asked some people to speak, we got back from Brandon the, um, the, the Evangelical Praise Course Sanctuary, which if you've, if you've sung it, you have sung it ardently um, as, a, as a church youth grouper somewhere. And it speaks of being a living sanctuary for the Lord, pure and holy, tried and true. The idea that we could be personally a sanctuary for God, a holy place for God to dwell. And, we, you know, we can follow that idea all over the historical Christian tradition and all over the Bible. And so this idea of sacred, protected space, it undergirds, it undergirds this idea of safety or protection. So you've got, you got those two poles going on. But once you get that far, it, you, you ask some basic questions that, that are a lot, they're very, they're very straightforward questions, but they're not easy questions, such as what is sacred or holy to us? 
Where are the places? Who are the people? What are the practices that we would mark in that way? And then the other question is, what needs protecting? What is holy or sacred enough to need and deserve protection? And at that point, we see how radically simple and irreducibly complex this idea of sanctuary really is. How much is this vision of sacred and safe mapped by our experiences as people? You go back to our call to gather tonight. What is the thing that left me feeling desperately hungry to be gathered in? Where's the place and who are the people who enfolded me as I am and offered me unimagined grace? And just as important, what song does that experience invite me to sing to others? Where is breathing in the love of sanctuary and refuge forcing me to leave my comfort zone and breathe that out to others? All of those awarenesses come from us, our experiences of people, where we found safety, where we found things that deserve to be protected, and where we see those things in our, in our daily experience with others. So we'll be exploring some of those complexities in, ways, in weeks ahead, but it felt like because of that really personal quality to how we approach this, that it would be good to hear from a lot of voices tonight just reflecting on what sanctuary means to them coming out of those experiences and, and, yeah, we hope that doing so will just give us a more imaginative and honest lens um, to explore that as a community. I want to just give briefly, Elizabeth's going to start us off by reading the text and giving a reflection, but a brief one for me. I got a chance to go yesterday to W.D. Hill Recreation Center on Fayetteville in the footprint of Old Haytai, and the Durham Parks and Rec was commemorating an event, celebrating Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Um, they had crafts, they had uh, music, there was, there was, it was a great event. But at the end of, of the gathered event on the last hour, um, a, an African-American mother and grandmother who'd spent her entire life in East Durham got up and they talked about how much she was introduced, how much she had spent and given into the community with her life in, right there in East Durham. And, and she had some hard words for the crowd gathered. And they were hard words from her community about the promises of MLK for equal justice and opportunity. And she spoke of reparations, and she asked hard questions about when America would freely grant her community the promise and opportunity it so readily grants other communities. And she told us to go and read MLK's letter from Birmingham jail. And I did, and when I did, one of the things I find in there is this. The contemporary church is so often a weak, ineffectual voice with an uncertain sound. It is so often the arch supporter of the status quo. Far from being disturbed by the presence of the church, the power structure of the average community is consoled by the church's often vocal sanction of things as they are. As I listen to her, as I read that, Those seem to be the stakes of sanctuary in 2017 or any time. This was 50 years ago, for goodness sake. So that's that's what we're after here. It's as intimate, it's as grand as that, and it's as intimate as that. And yeah, that's that's why I talk about this. So to start that off, we want to invite people to speak out of your experience. What have you heard? What have you seen? Um, what does sanctuary, where do you find that resonating for you? Elizabeth, would you just kick us off? I missed, there you are. 
place that would subvert that world of the novel. Yeah, so when Ben asked some of us to respond, I told him I'd do an interpretive dance to <laughs> Lord prepare me to be a sanctuary because that was certainly the image that first came to mind. <clears throat> I went back and in the absence of you all, you know, begging me to do that dance, I thought um, think about a few other things. And I, I did look up that song, which Mark, you could probably say more about it, but the son of Earl Scruggs wrote that song, <laughs> Randy Scruggs, um, in Nashville. But going back to look at the lyrics, it strikes me, as Ben said, that it's focused on personalizing this narrative from the Old Testament, right? It's individualizing um, the story of the sanctuary of the Hebrew Bible and applying it to uh, personal piety, right? Prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true. And it's focused on the personal relationship with God. In some ways, that's the best of the evangelical tradition, right? That focus on that personal relationship with God. Um, but it was later that I began to think of it as something more, and, and probably actually drawing back on some similar 80s memories, the second thing that came to mind for me, thinking about um, Sanctuary, was Manuel uh, Noriega mm-hmm. in 1989, taking Sanctuary in the Vatican Embassy, where the U.S. government then blasted Guns and Roses, Welcome to the Jungle, and the clash, we fought the law until he finally uh, got so annoyed he left after a week or so. Um, but it harkens back to this practice of the medieval church, right, of sanctuary cities, uh, cities in which there were cathedrals that people could run to if they were being uh, hunted uh, and find protection from prosecution. And that makes me think then of the sanctuary movement also in the 1980s, um, around 1985, 86, in which several churches, both Protestant and Catholic, banded together to provide sanctuary to those fleeing from civil war in, in South America and in Central America, and so connected to Anna's reflection. Um, 
who saw that the U.S. government's role in sort of fueling some of those wars meant that we had an extra responsibility to provide uh, sanctuary. And some of those people were put on trial, uh, and some of them found guilty, actually, of, um, of suborning you know, people who were avoiding federal immigration law. And when they were put on trial, they cited the First Amendment, religious freedom, uh, but also cited Leviticus 19.34, the stranger who sojourns with you shall be to you as the native among you, and you shall love them as yourself. So I think we're, you know, we're on a cusp of a moment in which a new sanctuary movement uh, may be spreading and may be more necessary uh, than it even was in the 80s. So reading the Isaiah passage, I was reminded of several sanctuaries I've experienced recently. In each instance, um, each of which happened to include uncomfortable conversation, the common thread has been engagement intentionally rooted in love. We actively affirm our love, reminding each other, we're forever friends, or I'm not going anywhere, or I love you. Within this intentional space, difficult, vulnerable, and fragile conversations sometimes ensue where notions of our world, one another, or ourselves are challenged. As unsettling as revelation can be, there is an underlying sense of safety, genuine curiosity, truthfulness, novel discovery, healing, and new unfolding questions. There's no longer a fixed, gaping breach, but a sense of traveling toward one another, and then traveling together. No longer a yoke, but a sense of freedom and new horizons. Because love is already written as the beginning and the end of the story, something old can fall away and something new, free and more whole, can emerge. In despairing times, sanctuary feels like the opposite of despair and the means for transformation. Um, so I was asked to reflect about this, and I took it sort of a different way, and I thought of a time in my life when I needed sanctuary, and it was provided to me. And so briefly, this was about 13 years ago, and I had just moved to North Carolina. I didn't know anyone, I didn't have any friends, I didn't have a church community, and I moved in with my family. And the background, I guess, that's important is that my mom has dealt with a long-term, uh, long almost lifelong disability. And when I moved down, she was doing really well. And within three months, she was the worst that I had ever seen her. And what I didn't know is that we were entering a time in our family where she would be hospitalized over and over again for the coming probably three or four years. And so there I was, I, and I'm a very private person. And so all of a sudden, no friends, no one to talk to, and nothing but sort of deep family trauma, some shame that I felt. Um, it was just a really hard time. And I remember thinking, I don't know how to make friends like this. I don't know how to do this. How do you walk up to someone and have those surfacey conversations when you're not thinking about anything surfacey? And there was one girl that I had met, and she was a friend of a friend. I had left New York, and my friend said, you have to meet my best friend, Sarah. And so I did, and I told her what was happening in my life. And she, is to this day one of my best friends, mm -hmm. and she just invited me to everything that she did with her group of friends. And it was this group of people that I think provided the first picture of Sanctuary because they were all musicians, incredibly talented. Uh, you should also know that I can't sing to save my life. <laughs> Play a musical instrument. Like, I had nothing of sort of the social capital that you can only build friendships on in that situation. 
but every time I walked into the room, to a party, someone would yell my name. It was clear that I was not only welcome, but they had allowed me to belong for no good reason. And I think that that I think that experience of feeling very broken in a group of people who didn't expect anything else and didn't pretend to be anything else themselves, but just made a space for me to, to be in a really hard time uh, was probably my first real picture, real picture of sanctuary. Those were some of the reflections. 
for me, my personal practice of writing in a journal, my community of friends, which is kind of super dorky, honestly, uh, my community of friends and music itself. And, and this community, I'm really grateful, even just for this conversation as we move into 2017. So I'm struck by several of the things that you guys brought up. I'm interested now, too, in uh, the individual people that spoke. I'm interested in sort of opening up uh, the floor a bit uh, to those of you who didn't have a chance to speak yet. I'd love to hear individual reflections, um, either on what you've heard so far from others or from the music that we've heard sung tonight um, or the things that come to your mind when you think of Sanctuary. Um, I imagine this going in a lot of different directions, but one of the places I'm interested in exploring um, I, Liz, that was really powerful story to me because I think when we talk and think about sanctuary, for, for me at least, it's easiest to start here. Like it's easiest to start where I am and what I've experienced or what I haven't experienced um, as sanctuary. So in certain ways, for me, that's, that's the most powerful starting point. So thank you so much for your story, Liz, because that, that to me, I, I feel like I can build out from that spot. So I'm interested first, like the first question I would have, um, are places that others of you maybe have found sanctuary as hope or sanctuary as comfort? Interested in hearing any stories, comments you might have? And we're just going to do this for a few minutes. not afraid of silence because I'm a therapist so <laughs> so I can sit for a while feels too personal. Go ahead, Molly, if you... I think what I think of um, Sanctuary, and I was thinking about it a lot, um, though I didn't have to prepare something this week. Um, I think, I just think of the image of a table. Um, my parents, like, this notion of, like, my parents' dining room table, how that was sanctuary for me and for so many people that came into that home. Um, I think of the table here at a man's wedding, is sanctuary because for me if it's not I really have no hope that there could be sanctuary elsewhere um, and so I think that that's what I've been toying with is this image of table and tables that we find ourselves sitting around and like the pub group table and just spaces where we gather together and can fully be known and loved and accepted and then out of that table we have the strength to go out and be sanctuary and create sanctuary in other spaces. But that I don't think I could do it if I didn't have tables always recentering me and reminding me of the sanctuary within myself and my community. Thanks, Molly. If it feels too personal of a question to put it that way, I'm, I'm curious, just images, phrases, thoughts that come to mind as you hear the word sanctuary. 
think uh, piggybacking on, on you, I don't really have a, unfortunately, personal, you know, good feelings or memories about Sanctuary, but I remember when I was a kid seeing the, um, the Hunchback of Notre Dame, the, the 1940s or early 50s version, and then, you know, taking the, the gypsy in and giving her Sanctuary, and it was almost like, I don't know the history, or if it was just the church was the purveyor of morality back then, so they were allowed to do that sort of thing, or if it was an actual law, but it makes me kind of think today, you know, would we still do that today if there were no laws, you know, would we stand up for people, our individuals as members of the church, you know, are they going along with what everybody else wants, or are they standing up for people and giving them sanctuary? Um, are they allowing hate to, uh, to happen, or are they actually speaking up and, and providing that sanctuary? Yeah, that's great. That's great. I'll share. Um, <clears throat> one place that, I mean, I don't know if it's a place, but the supernatural presence of God, um, whenever I feel His presence, I can feel my heart open. And because God is supernatural, there's always something that happens. Maybe not something that happens in my life, but in my soul or in my spirit that I know that there's some factor that I wasn't considering or something that I hadn't seen before that could change my situation or bring me peace or allow me to be the person that God has destined me to be or desires me to be. Um, so I always, whenever I feel God's presence, I try to quiet myself down and stay there as much as I can. Sort of describing sanctuary as an openness to experience or an openness to a new reality, engaging your imagination. I mean, I'm not sure that everyone agrees with me about this definition about the presence of God, but this kind of luminous experience of a closeness of God in that particular moment. I mean, I know God is everywhere and He's everything, but there's been moments in my life when I have felt that God is drawing near me. Um, and so I guess it would be that experience that I feel is a sanctuary. Yeah, thanks, Brian. And someone else. Mark. Mark. Oh, okay. Go ahead, Brian. So I, I was on, I got an email about this, and I felt guilty. Um, and some of that is, you know, we live in East Durham, which is, traditionally an African-American community um, and have come in, you know, part of this community that's uh, becoming gentrified. Like, there's a 2,200-square-foot house that's now going for, like, almost 450000 which is crazy. Um, but I, so I, when I said sanctuary, I thought about safety. Um, and as a white male, um, I don't have to worry about a lot of this, these things. I don't have to worry about, like, safe places. Um, and a lot of times... Um, so I, I didn't feel like I didn't, my voice would contribute um, because it's, it's the voice of others that needs to be heard. 
that's my thought. A recognition that that for those of us also as a as a straight white male also um, almost in a sense of, of not not needing sanctuary in quite the same way that that day to day life is is not fraught with as much um, with as much possible negative consequence at the hands of power. Yeah, you're kind of lamenting that as well. That that's just, that's what it is now. Yeah. I was listening to tonight struck that at the multi-levels of sanctuary, there's this personal level where it's very me and it's something else, be it writing or music or some form of exercise or, or whatever where you can find that, that place of peace. And then moving <coughs> on, there's that immediate communal friendship form of sanctuary. And you can take a step further at kind of that macro global level. And I was just start thinking about how um, kind of going off Fred said there, like there's different places where I can I can find that personal sanctuary. I can I can think of that kind of communal sanctuary. And then my religion sanctuary changes as I think about that global one. Because mm-hmm. that is not a space that I, where I need the sanctuary, but how can I get that sanctuary? Um, and how can there's that personal one is very much you know internal you the other ones require relationship in some form so for somebody to get sanctuary requires something to get sanctuary so how how can we how can we form that um, in the immediate circles around us but then how can we form that more big picture um, yeah it's I think of that too as being it's a divestment of privilege to create sanctuary and to invite others in, which really leads me to sort of what my next question or thought was, <clears throat> which is something that we don't necessarily think about that much, but sanctuary as fear. Um, what ways are creating sanctuary full of fear as well? Um, you know, I, I think what you just said is, is great, Dave. Like, I think about that in terms of, um, I, I know some people... You know, with, with these sanctuary cities that have said that they're not going to deport, um, they're not going not gonna to check people's papers to see if they're um, documented workers and that kind of thing. And, and the new uh, administration coming in has, has said, uh, we're going to make sure you do that. You know, we're going to make sure that the police force actually does check people's papers and, and enter deport, deportation proceedings in these cities saying, no, we're just, that's not what we're going to do. It's not our job to do that. Um, I, I think of the people that... Uh, the people that, that want so much for deportation to happen, that want so much, um, there, there, there's a fear. There, there's a fear that somehow I have to give up something of myself, something. They wouldn't necessarily call it privilege. We don't always call it that. But I have to give up something um, to create space for these other voices. So I, I don't know. I, I'm curious if there are any reflections or thoughts on that. But, but that's something that I am aware of as a person of very, very high privilege in the United States. Um, that, that creating space for other voices means that I have to shut up, um, that it means that I have to stop talking and, and listen um, in terms of figurative sanctuary. Any, any thoughts on that, any reflections? Um, one, one reflection, which is just the, the kind of behavioral power of lost version. Um, lost version has like a, a disproportionate 
power on, on like the human psyche uh, when you're trying to, to motivate an action. Uh, and I, I feel like I feel like maybe maybe that's what we're experiencing, um, where uh, like what's what's happening politically right now um, might 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 be playing on, on the power of law which is um, it's that it's that privilege that, that you and I share um, as, as, as heterosexual white men, um, and uh, and. Done a, a pretty uh, good job of, of mobilizing a, a lot of fear around around that, that, that possibility. And, and how, when you look at and how do you how do you actually change people's behavior? It's one of the it's one of the, the most powerful levers that you can pull um, just to, to give people. That's great. Looking at, it's easy to, it's, it's, we, we tend to look at the, the macro when we think of like the social impact of that, but really personalizing that and saying like, oh, you have no idea how this is corroding us as people to practice this. Yeah. Yeah. Did I see, I thought I saw one more hand somewhere, but I might be making that up. This is where I've up the thing before, but, um, Listening to everyone talk about you know the intricacies of um, privilege and fear, um, when I hear the word sanctuary, I think of bird sanctuaries or like sanctuaries for wildlife, which are not only um, places where I imagine that birds feel very peaceful, but um, and I hope that they do. Um, but it's also a place that we have sat down, got together, and decided that this is a thing that is worth protecting, and we are going to take the time to be educated about the way to properly protect it, 
and what to include in that sanctuary and what not to include in that sanctuary. Um, and I think it's equally important um, for when we are building sanctuaries, much like this one, um, which is this amazing safe space that you all have spent so much time and energy and thought creating. Um, I think that because we're in such a fear-driven um, place as a society, um, it just highlights to me how important it is that we take the time to educate ourselves about what voices are we being inundated with and how do we decentralize um, and not erase them. Like, I think your voice is important. You know, like, white, cisgender, straight males are people too. However, <laughs> you know, like, however, it's important to, yeah, I know. Rest easy. Um, but, you know, when we create spaces of um, sanctuary, I think it's extra important that we um, spend a lot of time um, centering other voices and, and thinking about really the work that it takes to build those kind of spaces. Because, I mean, you all have put so much work into building this space and, you know, building a practice, practice of journaling, for example, for me is, like, so hard. Um, and it, finding any kind of personal sanctuary or communal sanctuary really is, it's not something that just exists. Um, it's something that's, that's worth working on. Cultivating. Yes. Yes. I think we are... Thank you. Thank you all. We're at the end of this little section of our night. We're going to have the musicians come back up, I believe, is what's next. Yes. So Tim and Billy and Chessa. Thank you all. Thank you, everyone, for your thoughts and uh, your words and readings tonight. Really, really wonderful, really helpful uh, in pulling my mind in different directions as I think about this topic. Thank you so much. again for having us here. We're going to play a song called Beyond the Rainbow now.
we're now going to play you a crowded house song that you've uh, that I've sung here at least uh, a couple of times before. I seem to remember some of you enjoyed singing along, so please feel free to jump in at any point in the proceedings. And uh, again, it's uh, great to have Chesser Rich here on uh, on piano, keys, and, uh, and vocals, and uh, Billy Feather here on bass as well.
Okay, so we're at the end of this evening's music. And again, it's great to be here. And thanks for having us. And on the subject of, of sanctuary, um, the musical community that drifts in and out of here uh, weekly, a disparate bunch of musicians, I, I know I can say on behalf of everybody else uh, who comes and plays here that, that, that Amaze Way has uh, and continues to serve as a, as a, a place of sanctuary for us for, to commune and come play music. And, and that... M- members of the collective here that come out and support things that we're doing when we're not here. It's, it's really it's something that we don't take for granted. And, uh, I know we're all very grateful, so thank you. Again, thanks for Chester Rich being here. And, for and we're going to finish with a, um, a Bob Dylan song called When the Deal Goes Down. It's a, a waltz.
So sanctuary and the table of God that we celebrate every week in the Eucharist. Those of you who've been around for a while are probably have grown weary of me telling you that one of my favorite writers of all time is a guy named Frederick Buechner. Um, I thought about in sanctuary, one of the things I thought about is secrets and how for us to have real sanctuary as a community, it has to be a safe place for us to share secrets has to be a safe place for us to tell our story in the timing that we're ready to do so. So I immediately thought of one of Beekner's books called Telling Secrets. And it's about, it's, a, it's one of his memoirs. It's sort of about his life growing up. I wanted to read just a portion of it tonight. One November morning in 1936, when I was 10 years old, my father got up early, put on a pair of gray slacks and a maroon sweater, opened the door to look in briefly on my younger brother and me who were playing a game in our room and then went down into the garage where he turned on the engine of the family Chevy and sat down on the running board to wait for the exhaust to kill him. Except for a memorial service for his Princeton class the next spring, by which time we had moved away to another part of the world altogether, there was no funeral because on both my mother's side and my father's there was no church connection of any kind and funerals were simply not part of the tradition. He was cremated, his ashes buried in a cemetery in Brooklyn, and I have no idea who, if anybody, was present. I only know that my mother, brother, and I were not. Don't talk, don't trust, don't feel is supposed to be the unwritten law of families that for one reason or another have gone out of whack, and certainly it was our law. We never talked about what had happened. We did not trust the world with our secret. We hardly even trusted each other with it. And as far as my 10-year-old self was concerned anyway, the only feeling I can remember from that distant time was the blessed relief of coming out of the dark and unmentionable sadness of my father's life and death into fragrance and greenness and light. Don't talk, don't trust, don't feel was the law we lived by and woe to the one who broke it. 22 years later, in a novel called The Return of Ansel Gibbs, I told a very brief and fictionalized version of my father's death, and the most accurate word I can find to describe my mother's reaction to it is fury. For days, she could hardly bring herself to speak to me, and when she did, it was with words of great bitterness. As she saw it, I had betrayed a sacred trust, and though I might have defended myself by saying that the story was, after all, as much mine to tell as his son, as it was hers as his widow to keep it hidden, I not only did not say any such things, but I never even considered such things. 
I felt as much of a traitor as she charged me with being, and at the age of 32 was as horrified at what I had done as if I had been a child of 10. I was full of guilt and remorse, and sure that in who knows what grim and lasting way I would be made to suffer for what I had done. When I think of us trying to be a community of sanctuary, uh, when we try to extend a safe environment to ourselves and to one another in this space, I think about the need to lead with love and trust versus leading with suspicion. I think of the ways that meeting at the table every week challenges this for us. For those of you who this is your first time or or early time in uh, visiting us, we practice a very rowdy, loud table. And it's not an effort to be irreverent, um, though some of the things we do is an effort to be irreverent maybe, but this is not. This is actually an effort to see a different kind of reverence, to maybe redefine what reverence might be. Uh, the reverence of looking into one another's eyes, of asking what your week has been like, uh, what's been going on with you, um, where are places that you are finding hope this week, where are places you're finding challenge this week. We do this when we meet here, letting it be loud and rowdy so that we can actually involve ourselves in one another's lives. Even in a group this size, though, it's easy to go to the table with someone uh, that you want to talk to. Um, rather than someone that maybe you don't really want to talk to. So I go myself to the table being aware of that uh, and asking us to try to be in relationship with one another as we go here. We serve one another uh, bread or a gluten-free cracker. Uh, We serve one another wine or juice. And we say the body of Christ broken for you. We say the blood of Christ shed for you. This is a way for us to enter one another's lives to begin the process of creating community sanctuary in our space for one another. Please join us at the table. Uh, Thank you for being here with us tonight, and we look forward to seeing you again soon.